You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. When I was 15, before I was even allowed to drive, I used to stay up waiting until my dad parked his Mazda RX-7 in the driveway after a late night at work. Once he was safely in the kitchen with his beer and sandwich, I would slip out the back door and climb into the driver's seat of the Mazda, the engine still warm, humming and clicking from his drive home. I would get myself all set up, like I was about to start the car and back out into the street. I moved the seat forward, punched buttons on the radio, imagined jazz creeping out of the speakers. I'd buckle my seatbelt, adjust the mirror, and pretend to turn the key in the ignition. I pushed out the clutch, shifted into reverse, wrapped an arm around the back of the passenger seat, and craned my neck back at the empty driveway. I imagined backing out slowly, the wilted flowers of the crepe myrtle in our front yard brushing against the roof, and slipping out into the quiet northern Virginia streets, cruising past the dark houses and sprinklered lawns, losing myself in the sound of swaying cymbals and muted trumpets, an imaginary cigarette dangling from my teenage fingers, no particular destination in mind, just generally on my way, somewhere. If you've been listening to Family Ghosts since the beginning, you know that my entire life changed in that red Mazda. I loved that car, for better or for worse. And it wasn't just the fact that it was a car. It was my dad's car. I've been thinking about that Mazda a lot recently. My dad got it for himself sometime around his 40th birthday. And as alert listeners may recall, I myself just turned 40. And I've been thinking about the conversations I used to have with my dad in that car. How it was the first time he ever played me his favorite CDs, a torch singer named Vala Cup, and a collection of theme songs from old westerns. It was the first time he asked me what I thought about Bill Clinton. The first time he asked if there were any girls I had crushes on. He was a different guy in that car than he was at home. Well, it turns out I am not the only storyteller from season one of Family Ghosts, whose memories of my father are tied to cars and the mystical powers of the manual transmission. Mark Pagan, the host of a wonderful podcast called Other Men Need Help, joined us in our first season to tell the story of his decades-long quest to unlock the mystery of his father's shaving kit. But in one of my favorite episodes of Other Men Need Help, Mark tells another story about trying to piece together what he inherited, or maybe didn't inherit, from his dad. By the time I hit puberty, I couldn't wait to either be a European spy or an older brother type who gave lifts. And I couldn't wait for someone to stare in awe at the way I escaped from Greek gangsters or peeled away from Tower Records. From WALTFM and PRX, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman, and after the break, Mark Pagan's manual transition. We'll be right back. 
This week, we're featuring an episode from Mark Pagan's podcast, Other Men Need Help. All you need to know for this story to make sense is that in an earlier episode of the series, Mark goes on a date with a woman named Trepa, which doesn't end well. And it leads Mark to an overwhelming temptation to buy a used Mazda RX-7. During my freshman year of high school, I'd spend cold mornings waiting for the 1221 school bus. I lived on Falls Road, which was, and still is, a major route for students driving to some of the high schools in Montgomery County, Maryland. Every day, juniors and seniors would whiz by. Some of them liked to let me know when they were driving by. Punk ass! It sucked. I'd be standing there with my headphones listening to Cypress Hill, and all these flashy cars were going by just laughing at me. This one day, a 1994 Nissan Maxima with tinted windows, neon ground effects, and alloy rims slows down and pulls over in front of me. I know this car. Chris Papadopoulos drives it. Chris was a senior who always had the flyest gear, like gold chains and brand new sports attire. Whatever team won the Super Bowl, Chris would be wearing their celebratory swag on Monday morning. He was that guy. Very cool. And I was nowhere on his radar. So on this one morning, I see his car sitting there, but can't see inside because of the tented windows. Does he have a flat? What the hell is going on? Then the driver's side window rolls down just enough for his hand to pop out and wave me in. It was so out of context but I found myself running across Falls Road and getting into the passenger seat. I don't know why he stopped. To this day, I think it was purely a moment of senior charity to a freshman. He gives me a nod like, I got you. Chris puts the car in first gear and peels out as we drive to school. He didn't say anything. He just effortlessly changed gears. It was so transfixing and super attractive. He felt like a mythological guardian. After about a minute, Chris's hand moves up to the stereo unit, puts the power on, and turns it up to start pumping Shaquille O'Neal's latest album. I didn't know I needed to like Shaquille O'Neal as a rapper until I heard it coming out of Chris's car. The bass was so strong that I felt my organs moving. When we got to the parking lot at school, I took so much time getting out of the car. I just wanted to milk this moment for as long as I could and have as many people as possible see me leaving Chris Papadopoulos' hoopty. Maybe it was longer than needed because Chris gave me a look like, yo, dude, we got to get to school. I never really talked to him afterwards besides a nod or two in the hallway. In fact, I never had a conversation with him at all. The whole ride had just been communication through movement. But I had a glimpse of future success, and my brain made a checklist. Stick shift, quiet stance, and Shaquille O'Neal as soundtrack. This is Mark Pagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need Rides. (laughs) 
we're gonna go ahead and activate the clutch all the way down and then we could go ahead and move it and then just get a feel for it you know first second third fourth fifth sixth and then make sure this ride to school wasn't the first time i encountered a stick shift or a man driving one there was my older brother david cool cousins and also so many of my friends over the years who had older brothers who would drop me off in their five-speed Saabs or BMWs, blasting Motley Crue to Tupac to U2 to Ace of Bass. Nobody talked. They drove. And they shifted. During this time in my life, I was also watching James Bond and Italian exploitation movies. They always had scenes of sporty cars running through small Mediterranean streets with Charles Bronson or George Lazenby not saying anything. But their driving was yelling, don't fuck with me, bro. By the time I hit puberty, I couldn't wait to either be a European spy or an older brother type who gave lifts. And I couldn't wait for someone to stare in awe at the way I escaped from Greek gangsters or peeled away from Tower Records. I couldn't have expressed this back then, but there was an affection to being around young men driving a stick shift and listening to tunes. It was all so mysterious. Like, what's going on in their head? It looked like there was no insecurity, no self-consciousness. Besides the independence of driving, it felt protective and safe. As if this silent driving presence is how men nurture. To drive. Remember, Three, the defensive driver willingly sign. gives up the right-of-way for safety. The man who was supposed to teach me how to drive was my dad. He wasn't around all that much, and when he was, I'd run errands with him in his boat of a Cadillac. He was a terrible driver, and the thing moved around like a canoe in a world of jet skis. Plus, he was old. And his soundtrack was always this classical music that he'd have to hum along with, but he could never remember the correct melody to. This was my destiny, and probably my car. Right before I started high school, my dad passed away unexpectedly. It was a rough transition, but there was a lot of family support, lots of help. And as I looked at the change ahead, I had a hard time imagining life in high school without the guidance of my father. I didn't expect how strongly I needed and wanted a mentor. I started as a freshman at Winston Churchill High School. No one knew me. I didn't have to be the quiet guy who couldn't drive and still secretly listen to the bodyguard soundtrack. This could be a fresh start. And as weird as it sounds, I figured if my dad was gone, maybe this meant I could get a new model of father. I knew there was a chance my mom would date or get remarried. And I was quietly excited about this because I was like, oh, we could bring a cool dad into the house. My dad was great. But he was old and did things like drive an old man's car and fall asleep watching the McLaughlin group. 
We needed someone who wore jeans and occasionally smoked cigarettes. Someone with a quiet resolve who'd be tough on me in the right ways, but also be like, hey, hop in, kid. Let me show you how to rob a racetrack. All right, that's going too far. But, you know, someone who would offer me guidance on how to be a cool, confident man. My mom starts dating, and I'm wondering who this hip guy will be that she'll eventually bring home to meet me. That was an interesting time of my life. That's Lauren, the man who became my stepfather. All those plans that I had for a young, cool dad did not come to pass. Because the way I saw it at the time, my mom went and married the oldest man possible. At the time they started dating, I was 15, my mom was 45, and Lauren was 70. And today, he's 93 years old. I had just retired, by the way. So I was all involved in moving to a new house. The real estate agent was your mother. Yep. My mom's a real estate agent. Her name is Jean. She's buddies with a lot of her clients, so I wasn't surprised when she and Lauren became friends. But then he started showing up at our house a few times a week. And shortly after that, he was there at the end of the night, and he'd still be there in the morning walking around in his old man underwear. I wanted him gone. But Lauren wasn't going anywhere. And on top of that, he was impossible to dislike. He never cursed or raised his voice. And he was so pure in his devotion to my mother and sensitivity to our needs. Gene was so special to me. And I know very well that is a very difficult time for the children, my children as well as Gene's. My mom worked. Lauren was retired. I was turning 16. They thought it would be a great idea if Lauren taught me how to drive. The last thing I wanted to do was spend time with him one-on-one. But I wanted to learn how to drive stick shift. This was going to get me out of this life and turn me into a getaway driver or a stoic hunk or both. And the only car in the house with a five-speed was Lauren's 1985 Mazda RX-7. I'd forgotten that you drove that car. Yeah, that's right. That was the time when we were together. We'd been buying used cars and usually sedans and station wagons as the usual part of a suburban living. And Mazda had put together just a marvelously engineered little car. Uh, That was one of the, probably the, the second car that I had ever bought that was brand new. Day after day, Lauren and I would sit in this two-seater while I stalled out trying to get onto exit ramps on I-270 in Maryland. There was no Shaquille O'Neal, no Motley Crue, just my mom's boyfriend's voice and more humming along with his classical radio. And Lauren seemed to be okay with all of it. You didn't have any problems. You, you were, seemed to be very comfortable driving it. I can imagine that there are some parents and their children, they wouldn't get along as as teachers and students, but uh, we were fine. He was right. We never argued. He never raised his voice or cursed, no matter how scary those drives were. I got pretty good at driving five-speed transmissions. And if a day went especially well, Lauren would have me drive down 355 and ask me to pull into the parking lot of heaven. Popeye's Chicken on Frederick Road. I don't remember us talking about much, but what is there to say when you've got Cajun fries and spicy chicken? It was all right. 
Lauren was all right. I figured I'd get the stick shift under my belt, and these rides would be a fond memory after my mom and him break up. One day around my 16th birthday, my mother came home and said, Lauren asked me to marry him. And I said yes. I didn't realize how much I missed my dad until my mom proclaimed her commitment to another man. On top of that, we had to move into his house and start sharing our worlds more closely. Our home, our habits, our cars. When I got my license at 16, I'd drive around as much as possible. One night I was out with my friends and had the RX-7. We were parked at some gazebo getting high. And when I came back to the car, the key kept sticking in the lock and I couldn't open the door. If I was in a regular headspace, I probably would have given it a few more patient tries and gotten the door open in less than a minute. But that night, I looked at Lauren's car and I felt a deep tinge of animosity and sadness. I lifted my leg and kicked the door as hard as I could. I didn't think it would be as dramatic a dent as it became. And even my friends were like, damn, dude. I said, "Uh, it'll pop out overnight, which I honestly thought would happen. At 7 a.m. the next morning, I wake up to see Lauren standing over me. He says, Mark, come to the garage. I want to show you something. We went to the garage. He stood there in his flannel pajamas and moccasin slippers, pointed to the door, and said, What the fuck is that? Remember, Lauren never raised his voice or cursed. The worst thing that any of us had ever heard Lauren say was the word preposterous with a lot of emphasis. I was completely caught off guard by this F-bomb. My mom had witnessed the whole thing, and I looked over at her like, come on, help me out here. And she gave me a look like, you're on your own, dude. I started apologizing for everything. Lauren shushed me and said, dude, go, go get the plunger from your bathroom. And I thought, okay, what sort of weird mid-century punishment am I getting? I get the plunger, give it to Lauren, and after about 30 seconds, he expunges 97% of the dent and gets the door pretty close to its original shape. When it was done, I didn't know what he was going to say, and I was bathed in disappointment. And after a long pause, he says, you want to go to Popeye's? Now, denting your parents' car as a teenager is a slightly badass act of rebellion. But eating fried chicken at 8.30 a.m. is fucking gangster. I hadn't thought about all of this until I ran into this car on 4th Avenue in Brooklyn. When I saw it, I thought, there's a stick shift. This will prove that I'm a cool guy. But Lauren, literally giving a fuck, saved my life in many ways and more explicitly gave me guidance. And this old sports car model made me feel taken care of. After all these years, I never sat down to talk to him about that or about how he and the car ended up in my life. See, Lauren didn't drive as a teenager. He grew up during the Great Depression. We took a drive and he told me the story. See, when I turned... 16, I was in college, so I had no place and I had no car. Then World War II came along and I was in the Navy, so I had no opportunity to drive. Then I was in graduate school 
and gotten married, and I didn't have any money to buy a car. So it wasn't until I was 32. In his 30s, he started to teach physics, and he was married before my mom to his first wife, Polly. They moved to Newton, Massachusetts. Lauren and Polly were together for decades. They moved to Maryland, had kids. The children grew up, moved out. But Lauren and Polly's lives changed in the late 70s. Polly had been sick with muscular dystrophy for years. In the last 10 years, she uh, couldn't walk. So there was a long period of, of my being a caregiver. One Sunday morning, she just didn't wake up. I remember my first reaction was, well, it's happened. That, that was the only way I could express it. It's happened. I, I knew all along that death happens. Here's the point in life where it's happened to me. And a new chapter started for him. I remember whether it was the next day or the following day, I guess I filled up with gas or something, and I st- had lunch at Popeye's by myself, of course. I was being conscious of well, I can do this. So in a way, it it freed me up of the caregiver role that is very consuming. I I remember recognizing that freedom that I had uh, for myself. I was simply continued with with what I was doing. I still had direction. And uh, I was opening up to a new life, not knowing quite what was going to develop. This is when he met my mom. This is how we became a family and how he had a two-seater sports car in his life. So maybe that was my midlife crisis or something, but I didn't feel it that way. And there was no other feelings of regaining youth or anything. That didn't enter into it at all. I didn't realize it at the time, but that car is where we got to know each other. One of the things that was, was interesting about revisiting this car, which not, not just that I learned on it, but I learned how to drive stick shift on it. And it was partly, I wouldn't have put this together. That was, I think, sort of our relationship, a, a bit of our relationship introduction as well. As children, we just don't think, can't, we can't even conceive of our parents as being other than our parents. I remember I was very comfortable with getting to know you. Uh, That was a very special time of my life. When would you tell yourself you can no longer drive? Uh, It's when I can no longer function or I see myself as not seeing something, not not responding. I, I recognize that as something that may well happen fairly soon. I, I don't know. Do you miss not driving a sports car? I enjoyed the RX-7, but that, that period's over. I did not buy the car. Instead, I got a shrink and worked on my career goals. It might not have been the answer, but it was a step. I did, however, ask Lauren to join me for one nostalgic getaway. We went to Popeye's. Five of them, so that's number six. Uh, pardon? Spicy. 
Oh, and that date that I went on with Shripa? You may be wondering if anything happened with that. I thought the date had been a catastrophe, but I did get a text message the day after. And while Lauren and I ate our chicken and biscuits, I had him take a look at the response. I don't know if you can read with your glasses, but this one up here. This top one. Hi, Mark. That was fun. I could, I could have talked all night. Want to hang out again? That's pretty good. I thought, I thought that, it, uh, yeah. that she wasn't excited, so. It's, it's hard to read people. That's Mark Pagan in an episode from his podcast, Other Men Need Help, produced by Mark and his team, Tanvir Mansour, Rebecca Seidel, and Ben Goldberg. Find Other Men Need Help in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Family Ghosts is hosted and produced by me, Sam Dingman. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by Mark Pagan with the Other Men Need Help team, Ben Goldberg, Tanvir Mansour, and Rebecca Seidel. Find more episodes of Other Men Need Help wherever you're listening to this. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Luis Guerra. That's the Kelly Bell Band you hear harmonizing in the WALTFM Sonic ID. Family Ghosts is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits get access to an ad-free version of the show, as well as exclusive bonus content that's not available anywhere else. We couldn't make Family Ghosts without their support, so if you have the means, please consider joining them today at patreon.com familyghosts. And if you don't have the means, no worries. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the show for free by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It will take 30 seconds of your life, and it will make a huge difference in the life of Family Ghosts. We will be back in two weeks with an all-new episode of Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted.